Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, tonight, I'm believing that God has something special for every person that came into the house. That's what I love about God. Every time I preach a message, sometimes I'll preach a message, I think the worst message I've ever preached. I'll be honest, like, wow, Lord, that was terrible. Will you forgive me? And then some will come up to me like, that was the greatest message ever. And what happens in messages and sermons, because all you're doing is just preaching the word of God and teaching his word, it does not return void, is somebody on this side is gonna say, there was this moment in the word in your message and God said this to me. And then on this section will be totally different. That's what I love about God, he's so big. He's got something for everybody tonight. He's not lacking. Now, if you're brand new, we're in a serious title, Knowing God, everybody say, Knowing God. It was birthed out of this thought. In, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, God wants us to know him. Not just know of him, but to know him. Hosea 4, 6, you maybe heard me say this. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Woo! Man, I don't want our people to perish in the, in the Bay Area. We want them to know God. Daniel, it says in Daniel that those who know God have an energy for God. It says in Matthew 7 that those who know God are going to be saved. The Greek word is gnosko. It's intimate. It's how you birth things. And one of my favorites in Revelation 3 is when the church is apathetic and lukewarm. Jesus just simply says, have a meal with me. Get to know me. And if you get to know God, basically what he's saying is you will catch fire and you'll have passion for him. Man, who wants to get to know God tonight? Does that sound good? All right. I, I, um, I have a title of my message called The Real Church. The Real Church. Now, when you title a message The Real Church, it makes people go in a thousand different places. So I got to establish something real quick. Because when I title a message The Real Church, your first question is probably going to be, what is the real church? Is the real church a church full of really good people? No, I actually don't think that'd be the answer. Is the real church full of really smart people? No, I don't think that'd be the answer. Is the real church full of a bunch of really kind people? No, I don't think that's the answer. I think a real church is full of people who really love God. I think that's the real answer. Well, Tyler, why do you think that's the real answer? Well, let me, let me tell you real quick. Uh, Matthew, Jesus says simply this. Uh, the most important commandment to us, the church, is to love God with everything we got and to love our neighbor as ourself. I'm gonna double down on this. It says in John 13 that the way people will know that we're his followers is how we love each other. That's how we'll know. Like, that's how the world will know, oh, that's a Christian. Why? They love people differently than uh, we do. Another thing I love about it, it says in Corinthians that love will compel us. Greek word to constrain, to control. So I'm just, I'm gonna let one of my secrets out. I don't preach to tell you rules because rules without relationship equals rebellion. I'm just gonna just tell you real quick. But I am trying to have you follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, guess what happens? You wanna follow his boundaries. You wanna follow his ways. Things that you don't wanna give up right now, you find Jesus, you, you can't wait to throw him out. Woof. Some of you, I don't wanna trick you. You're gonna fall in love with Jesus and it's gonna change your whole life. I, uh, I don't know about you, but I love chick flicks. Can I say that? Is that appropriate for 2021 still? Am I allowed to say the word chick still? Is that allowed? Email me if it was inappropriate and I'll delete it. Just kidding. Um, you offended me. Uh, I love chick flicks. I do. I just, I love a good love story. You know, uh, one of my favorite uh, love story movies ever is Sweet Home Alabama. Anybody love Sweet Home Alabama? Come on. We all need to write Hollywood. They don't make chick flicks anymore. They don't write love stories. When's the last good love story to come out? Another one of my favorite movies, actually my favorite love story movie, my favorite chick flick of all time is Serendipity. Anybody love Serendipity? Man, it's good. John Cusack, one of the most underrated actors of our era. 
That guy, man, he is a phenomenal actor. A movie I loved forever, but I watched it recently and it didn't age well, was The Notebook. Oh, well, relax. <laughs> I might get emails about that more than the chick flick comment. Okay, why don't you like The Notebook? I'll let you know real quick. Uh, the Notebook, I feel like he's, they fight too much. Uh, they really don't get along. Like, he's kind of crazy. He's like staring at her the whole time. Um, I do love some of the moments in it, though, where he's like, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. I think it's one of the greatest lines ever in a movie. Um, I love that he builds a house, like her dream. So when she comes back, I mean, he's just labor. I mean, okay, actually, as I say it, I'm starting to fall in love with the movie again. <laughs> and then she gets Alzheimer's. Oh my gosh, it's such a good movie. And then he reads her the story of their own life. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Never mind, Notebook's amazing. All right. It's a phenomenal movie. I was studying uh, John 12, which I'm going to be teaching out of today. It's the story of when Mary pours out the perfume. You'll find this in Matthew and Mark um, and Luke. One of them uh, might not be her, but that's not even important. It's the heart of the story. But you'll find in all the Gospels this story of her pouring out perfume. Uh, and William Barclay, one of my favorite theologians, he shared a story about just real love. Real love, because I think when you have Christians who really love God, they just live a life that's a little bit more real. You make real Christians. You'll become your real self when you find the real God. I think a lot of us pretend. We're trying to figure out who we are. We're trying to, maybe our career defines us or this defines us. Or, no, you become really free and really actually become who you were created to be when you find your real God and you really fall in love with him. But I love this story in William Barclay shared. It's a short little love story. I think this should become a movie one day, but. He said this, a young American couple, Della and Jim, were very poor, but very much in love. Each had one unique possession. Della's hair was her glory. When she let it down, it almost served as a robe. So just picture, Della had hair all the way down to her, uh, down to her ankles, basically, just gorgeous hair. I guess that was in it one time, okay? So Della's hair was her glory. When she let it down, it almost served as a robe. Jim had a gold watch, which had come to him from his father, and it was his pride. It was the day before Christmas and Della had uh, exactly $1.87 to buy Jim a present. She went out and sold her hair for $20. And with the proceeds, bought a platinum fob for Jim's precious watch. When Jim came home at night and saw Della's shorn head, her cut hair, he stopped as if stupefied. It was not that he did not like, uh, like it or that he was no longer, uh, no longer loved her, for she was lovelier than ever. But slowly he handed her his gift it was a set of expensive tortoise shell combs with jeweled edges for her lovely hair. He had sold his gold watch to buy them. Each had given the other all there was to give. Real love cannot think of any other way to give. That would be a great chick flick, am I right? <laughs> come on, the, the, her prized possession, she sells it. His prized possession, he sells it. And they come to give you, the, each other, the gift to help their prized possessions. I mean, what? I'm like, oh, I'd be crying. It's got nothing on your bird, I'm a bird. Well, we're gonna hear a story today about a savior named Jesus that is going to go die for mankind. He's gonna give everything that he's got and a woman named Mary that's gonna give him everything she's got. And it's a beautiful love story. Can I just tell you something real quick? The Bible's full of miracles in the gospels. John 1 through 11, miracle, 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 miracle. This story has no miracle. It just has a lot of love in it. And the Lord made sure it had to be in the Bible. It's an amazing thing. We fall in love with miracles, but man, we need to fall in love with love again. Does that sound good? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing at Mission Church. And again, Lord, you said about this story that it would be preached throughout the earth, that it would become famous, that it would not be forgotten. This act of love for Mary, pouring the perfume on your feet and even on your head all over. Well, Lord, today I pray that 
the church again would have stories like that. Stories of extravagant love. Stories of love that no Hollywood chick flick could hold a candle to. May the Bay Area experience love. May, may love stories make a comeback, if you will. And Lord, more than anything, may my words fall to the floor and your words soar. Oh God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? Amen and amen. Well, okay. Um, first of all, we just got to give it up for Lacey. Come on. Lacey's so good. If you're brand new, I sometimes forget that Lacey is playing It's So Soothing, and I'll preach the whole time with her up here, and she's like, I want to get out of here. I'm doing better, though. Lacey, you smashed it. Um, Rachel and I just celebrated our nine-year anniversary. Come on now. Hallelujah. Come on. Time for me to write a marriage book. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, we, got about a, uh, we got probably a chapter or two in it now. Uh, it's been an amazing nine years. Uh, we went to Galpo Gauchan in Walnut Creek. Anybody been there before? It's all you eat, all you can eat Brazilian steakhouse. Come on now, it was amazing. Somebody was like, "Yeah, thank you." All right, that's what I um, It was a really sweet night. We, we, it was a couple weeks ago, uh, nine years married to my baby girl, and just made me reflect on when I met Rachel, when I fell in love with Rachel. But one of the biggest moments when I met Rachel was when I bought the engagement ring. Now, I'll just tell you something real quick. I was a youth pastor, and if you're a youth pastor in ministry, 70% of pastors are bivocational. So if you are maybe a young person in the house, and you're like, I want to grow up and I want to get rich, ministry's not for you. Okay? You know, I'm richer than you because I gave my life away to Jesus. So I'm the richest man in that room, okay? But if you looked at my bank account, it would not prove it that way, but in heaven, I'm richer than you are. Maybe not. Some of you maybe have been doing more, whatever. Okay. Um, but uh, so I was a youth pastor for years, you know, made 200 bucks a week for four years. Then I remember making 36 grand thinking, you know, woo, make it rain, you know, but then you got bills. And then I was like, oh my gosh, debt, you know, um, anyways. Um, and then I finally got a job that paid me enough to really like have margins and save. And so I remember I saved up. This is a big deal. I would, I would put $250 away every single month. And for years I put it away. I saved up $10,000, no debt, 10 grand. I feel like a millionaire. I'd walk into Chipotle, wouldn't even think about it. Give me two burritos. They're like, why are you so swaggery? I got 10 grand. Leave me alone. Give me my two burritos. <laughs> Saving that money up. And then me and Rachel start dating. And I remember like, man, like I went to like one of the, the jewelry stores and I saw a ring that was like a half a carat, but I was like, nah, I got 10 grand. I want to get my girl a full carat. Now there's three things uh, you need to know about diamonds. Cut, clarity, and color. Thank you. <laughs> Cut, clarity, color. Okay. And uh, LA has the diamond district, so you can actually buy the diamonds that are gonna be sold to Tiffany's before they go to Tiffany's. That's how cool it was to be in LA. I think we have something like that in San Francisco also. So I go to LA diamond district and I start looking at all these diamonds and you can actually pick the diamond out before you pick the setting out. And I remember like, this is too much. So I just said, Rachel, I want you to come pick out your diamond. So I called the guy up and I said, here's the deal. I want your two highest color grades. I think it's D and E. And I want at least a carat nothing smaller. And I want my girl to look and be wild and want her to pick out her, uh, her favorite, uh, her, her favorite, um, her favorite diamond. So he lays out 10 diamonds and Rachel picks out her diamond. And of course it was the best one and the most expensive one. My girl knows how to pick them. Come on now. Um, I'll never forget taking out, I'm not gonna tell you how much it costs, but a lot of my savings, most of my savings and walking to the diamond store and buying that ring. I was so excited to buy it. What else would I want to spend my money on? My 10 grand, what else would I want to spend it on? I'm 29. I thought I was maybe going to be Paul. I thought God maybe called me to singleness, which is totally fine, to be honest. 
But I was like, you know what? Maybe like, I didn't think I was like the ugliest dude, but I didn't think I was like the best looking dude. But I thought like one girl would be like, hey, not bad. Six, four, funny, you know? Okay, you know, he's got gray hair and he's 24. That's weird, but it's cool, you know? Okay, you know? And so, but nothing. And so finally found me a girl that said, I'll marry you. So I was excited. Here's my money. Give me that ring. But I'll never forget walking out of there and opening it up and I'm in the car and I just realized, and it was the moment I call it, this just got real. <laughs> Called my buddy Drew and I said, bro, this just got real. I'm holding the engagement ring. I'm gonna ask Rachel to marry me. He's like, oh my gosh. He's like, send me a picture. I sent a picture. Like, He's like, dang, bro. Now he got married at 22. So he bought his wife like a half a carrot, kind of yellow. Mine was white and a carrot. That's what happens when God makes you single for a long time. So anyways, I end up, uh, we go up to Lake Arrowhead and Rachel and I uh, go hiking. I didn't like hiking. Uh, Rachel loved hiking. Rachel had this place in Lake Arrowhead and she called it her spot. It was through a river and it was up there. And as a kid, her family owned a uh, cabin up there. Um, it really is like a love story, chick flick. I was a kid who had, was on food stamps and then Rachel's family's had like multiple houses <laughs> on Lake Arrowhead, you know, boats, you know. She's like, parents pay for everything, UCLA. <laughs> Anyways, um, kid from the wrong side of the tracks gets the girl. Anyways, so, so I decide I'm gonna go up to Lake Arrowhead, I'm gonna go on a hike. And I'm going to propose to Rachel at a different spot, and it could be on our spot. Because I want to steal her spot, but I wanted our spot. So we could go up there and go, this is where we got engaged. And so the big box that is a diamond ring, I don't want to lose it because there's a river. So losing a ring in the river, there's no insurance for that. So I bring this really dorky looking backpack, and I remember putting it on, and Rachel's like, why are you wearing that dorky backpack? I was like, because I like backpacks. She's like, you don't need to bring it. I was like, no, I need to bring it. She's like, don't, that, that looks weird. I'm like, I just, I like the backpack. She's like, okay. Not knowing the rings in the backpack. And I acted like I loved the hike. I was like, I love hiking. I love it so much. And I remember getting in the spot and getting on one knee. And I had Rachel's cousins actually like go with us and then like go on a different hike. But they hit up in the hills and they took pictures of me proposing to Rachel. If you're wondering what she said, she said yes. And... For the last nine years, it has been just the sweetest thing. And it's interesting how marriage just gets more real and real. You, you get married to somebody and you see the real them. And you really fall in love with them with their flaws and their weaknesses. You go through valleys, oh, real valleys. You really hurt them and they really hurt you. And then you really forgive them and they really forgive you. It's an amazing thing when you get into a covenant with somebody and you just can be just real you. Well, I want to submit to you that this story, Mary finds her God. And she goes to get perfume and read this in a second. And this is where it gets real. Because if you know anything, when you see God, you also know that he sees you. And when you see God and he sees you, you'll see this in Isaiah six. When, when, when you see God and he sees you, you'll know that you are more loved than you've ever dared believed. Oh, you'll, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I never knew somebody could love me this way. But you also realize you're more sinful and broken than you ever dare hoped. This is a, a Timothy Keller uh, quote. But what we're gonna see today is we're gonna see that if we actually can maybe be a church that has this dynamic in our house, I think the Bay Area is gonna see God and God's gonna see them. Does that sound good? So let's turn our Bibles to John 12. John 12. I'm going to read, stop, read, stop, read, stop, because that's how I preach. If you like it, great. If you don't, forgive me. Here we go. John 12, verse one, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, stopped. Martha, Martha, Martha. 
Am I right? She's always working. There's another story in the Bible where Martha was working and she was upset because Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's like, I'm working. And she's just sitting. And then Jesus is like, oh, time out. Don't do that. Don't, don't compare. He rebukes her comparison. He goes, hey, Mary uh, knows something that not everybody else knows in this room. She's in the right spot. Now, Jesus never, ever rebukes work, by the way. He never rebukes the work. It's good that Martha works. We need workers. The Bible actually says to pray for workers. Do you know that for us to have worship, people are working while we're worshiping? People are saying, I'll work so you can worship. I'll show up a few hours early and I'll be a Martha so you can actually be a Mary. Martha doesn't get enough credit in this story. Martha's great. In this story, you're gonna find a worker, you're gonna find a witness, and you're gonna find a worshiper. We need all three in the church. Another way you can say the story is you find the committed one, you find the curious ones, and you find the critic. In the church, you need committed ones. You know what's shocking to me about commitment? Some people in the house right now, you are so committed to destructive rhythms in your life. Everybody's committed. But what if you committed to the rhythm of grace, the rhythm of his gospel? Ooh, what could happen? So Martha worked. Now, I'm going to try to get through all seven of my pages because we got baptisms tonight. So I'm going to, come on now, baptism. I'm going to try to preach this in 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Because we got 15 baptisms, and that's going to be about, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe 15, maybe 30. Um, we're going we're to turn it all the way up, okay? Um, <laughs> it's interesting in, in church and in ministry when people come, and I'll even just talk about pastor, I'll talk from my own angle, that uh, when I was in Bible college, our professor told us 50% of you are going to quit ministry within the first five years. I was like, man, who brought the good news bear? Give him some honey. I mean, come on, bro, thanks a lot. Um, and I remember starting ministry and I remember seeing it from the outside and just, it looked, it looked fun. But the thing that a lot of people don't see throughout ministry is they don't see the work side. They just see the service side. They see the celebration side. And then people, even when they come to church, I love it. And then they start serving. And when you really start serving, you start to see the work and it's not the most enjoyable part, but it has the best fruit in it. There's just something about workers. You know what we pray for all the time as a staff that God would send workers. If you're somebody in the house real quick, I just want to ask you, pray about being a Martha with us. Pray about working with us. Let's keep going. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. There's another verse. Let's stop. Lazarus reclining. If you know anything about John, John 11, I just preached on a few weeks ago, is uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead. I love that Lazarus, his big kind of contribution story is he was just sitting at the table eating food and drinking. But this is something the Holy Spirit wanted in Scripture. Here's why. Here's your witness. Basically, people were coming to see Jesus and see Jesus' miracle and his name was Lazarus. Now, why is it such a big deal? I think some of us discount us living is not a big deal. You coming to church tonight is a big deal. You going to work tomorrow is a big deal. Here's what I mean by that. In the story, if you read it through all three, there are what I call the curious ones. They're wondering what's going on. I think one of the greatest things a Christian can do to people in their surroundings is make them curious about Jesus. And Lazarus just made people curious. And him overcoming death, because Jesus raised him from the dead, and him eating was simply this. Man, I gotta see actually Lazarus alive. Is he just sitting up? Did they get him out of the tomb? Or is he actually doing something? No, he's still doing something. Some of you have Lazarus-type stories. And because you're in the house worshiping still, man, that is a testimony of all testimonies. You're a witness. Let's keep going. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled. Everybody say filled. It's going to be a big part of the message. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
That nard is basically a, a really expensive perfume. It was a year's wage. Let's say 40, 50 grand would be a good guess. It was from the Himalayas. Uh, it had a pistachio type smell as one of some of the theologians actually said. I don't know what that, I guess that's a good smell. But it filled the whole house with a fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. Simple point is Mary worshiped and Judas whined. So you got witnesses, workers, worshipers, and whiners. You ever see the movie, A League of Their Own with Tom Hanks? Super old movie. But one of the catchers is about a girl's team becoming a pro sports team. And she starts crying and Tom Hanks is like, there's no crying in baseball. You can't cry in, there's no crying in baseball. Well, can I just tell you real quick? There's no whining allowed in church. Critics, you just, they're not allowed in church. It doesn't help church out. And, and Jesus is going to show, I mean, you're going to know, see real quick, that worshipers, ooh, they make church real good. Can I put it this way? Another way I was going to write it down was simply this, is you have a pourer and you have a pointer. Mary is pouring and Judas is pointing. You know what makes church really good? A bunch of worshipers. You make church just terrible? A bunch of critics. You know what's funny? People come in church and when worship starts, you know what they start doing? They just start looking and pointing and critiquing how somebody's worshiping, how the music sounds. And instead of actually being a Mary, they kind of bend towards a Judas. None of us want to be a, a, a critiquer. None of us. This is not, show me one disciple in the Bible that's the critic that God really uses. You're not going to find it. We're not going to be a critical church, man. We're going to be a worshiping church, okay? So Mary worships. So I want to just a couple, a couple observations from this moment. Uh, first one's this. What we, can, uh, what we do can actually change the atmosphere of a room. As I was praying and asking the Lord to God, what does this look like? I feel like I got to tell people in the house real quick, your spirit, the way God created you, the way you pour your life, it's going to literally affect the room. It's going to affect the way people react and respond. You ever been to people's houses? Everybody's house has got some kind of vibe. You ever, you ever been to the house that, um, I'll just say it, is like the house that just smells so good. They buy all the um, anthropology candles. You know what I'm saying? They take their paycheck. Because anthropology is Greek for expensive. Did you know that? That's literally what it means. No, it doesn't. So they got all those anthropology uh, candles and, and the house smells amazing. And you go over like, oh, I just love it. They got all those you know, little things in the bathroom. It's the nice smelling house. And then you ever been over to a house uh, that when you leave it, you smell like the house? It's called Smelly Kid House. They got a bunch of dogs, maybe. And you walk in, you're like, woof, that is strong. You know what I'm saying? You ever been to a house like that? You ever been to a house, maybe like, uh, I'll be honest, this is my house, the smoker house. You walk in and you can tell people smoke. You have a great dinner, but it costs you four years of your life. You know what I'm talking about? That's a smoker house. All right? It's going to keep it real with you. Well, what, what the Bible shows us is that Mary is affecting a whole house. I would go to Benihana's, leave Benihana's, and smell like Benihana's. I had to burn my clothes. Starbucks. You go to Starbucks, you know what Starbucks does to you? It makes you smell like Starbucks for the rest of the day. You get around a believer that pours out their life, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your smell. It's going to affect the way that you actually respond and act. I, I think what's amazing about the story is Mary is not concerned about the crowd or around the people's surroundings, but what she is doing is affecting everybody around her. What you do affects people. Your essence, your smell, in other words, your attitude affects people. People can leave you. What, what, what do you mean my smell can get on other people? There are people that when I get around them and I'm having a hard day, after 10 minutes I leave, I'm like, why do I feel like I can conquer the day now? Why do I feel so swaggery, you know? 
there's people I get around and, you know, like there's some people like, I'll just be honest, like they just, they just know how to build people up. They'll walk up to me and they're like, Tyler, you're just, you're the best. Really? Yeah, you're the best. Man, I mean, Rachel is a lucky wife. You're a gorgeous man. Really? Yeah. She snagged a good one. She did, didn't she? Walk away and come back. Hey, Rachel, you snagged a good one. It just changes what happens. Nobody's ever told me that, but you could if you wanted to. Just think about it, okay? Just text me it once in a while. Just kidding. What's interesting is, is when you see yourself as a poor, you just end up pouring all of God's goodness everywhere you're at. You pour it in the house when you're worshiping. You pour it in your workplace. You pour it everywhere. What you do affects places. They say an introvert affects 10,000 people in their uh, lifetime. Ten, an introvert, somebody who's quiet, they affect 10,000 people. I'm an extrovert. I don't know. Maybe I'm already at like 10,000 today. I have no idea. I was on the trail. I, said, I can't help myself. A guy had his own dog and the dog had a ball. I was like, can I play fetch with your dog? He's like, all right, go ahead. I was like throwing the ball, you know, and then he kind of followed us and I threw it again. This is what I do. Let's keep going. Next one is Mary came to please one person. I just love this observation real quick. She came to please one person. You know, what's exhausting trying to please all of you. When I prepare my message, it's exhausting. Is this offensive? Can I say this? Am I not allowed to say this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? And finally, even when I preach, I'm like, oh, I hope they like it today. You know what set me free as a communicator? I prepare a message for one. It's not you, because you didn't save me. You didn't restore me. You didn't die for me. No, you're not the one who loves me unconditionally. You're not the one that sees the worst in me and still stands by me. Woo, I prepare it for one. Mary comes in and, yeah, let's be honest. She don't consult nobody. Do you know what's interesting about the story? Mary's um, at an all-boys party. It's a boys' tree fort. She wasn't even supposed to be there. She didn't go, hi, everybody. It's, can, I, can I? She's like, get out of the way. I love my Jesus. I'm going to sit down. How you doing? What's up, everybody? She just sits there. And all the guys are like, what is she doing? I don't care you're upset I'm at your boys' party. They're probably upset she was just there. Step one, she, she upset every. You got to understand. Mary knew she was upsetting everybody right then. Some of you got to be okay with upsetting people. So she sits down. Next thing she does is culture says that a woman should never take her hair down. That is for inside the house. It is her glory. It is her honor. You know what she does? Takes her hair down. And then she washes his feet with it. You know what she does with that? She's saying this. I take off my crown and I lay it at the feet of my God. Some of you need to take the most precious thing that everybody tells you that you're not supposed to, and you need to say, hey, guess who I gave it to? I give it to my God. Oh, let me keep going real quick. This is what I love about Mary. She's a troublemaker. Oh, she's a troublemaker. She goes and gets the most expensive thing. She's a part of family, by the way. Martha, Lazarus, that's her family. I don't even know if this is their, their, like their perfume. It might have been hers only. She goes and gets the most expensive thing and just starts dumping it out. And she doesn't even think twice about it. Dumps it on his feet. You read all the gospel. She dumps it all over his head. And then you have Judas. And Judas, you know what's tough about pastoring in the Bay Area? It's a lot of smart people. They're very good at pointing. They're very good at being critics. They know the word. They're what I call caring critics. And so they even share their critiques with like this mask of, hey, I mean, I know she poured it on your feet and you're the king of kings and lord of lords and alpha and omega and you're about to go die for everybody. 
but you know we could have sold this perfume and gave it to the poor. It's an amazing point that Judas makes. It's valid. It's a valid point. But my observation of watching Mary is simply this. Judas, this ain't your perfume, it's my perfume. If you know anything about Judas, he's a thief. He actually was stealing the money from the money box. He didn't want to actually give it to the poor. He wanted to sell it so he could have money for himself. I, I, I'll be honest, most critics, <laughs> yeah, I'll say it, I'm just gonna say it real quick. I always want to say to a critic, a critique back, but then I don't want to be a critic. <laughs> so I'm in intention. So the critique me and I want to go, ah. I'm like, you know what, Lord, deal with them. And here's what I mean by that. Most critics aren't doing anything except critiquing. And at our church, I hope critics stand out real quick because there's no whiners allowed at Mission Church. I'll say it. There are no crying's non baseball. No whiners are allowed at Mission Church. We don't do that here. We don't critique others here because if you are pouring, it's really hard to point. It's just hard to point if you're pouring. Okay, let's keep going. Mary came to please one person. Mary gave all of it. She gave all of it, not some of it. I think this is a fascinating moment. I think it's a fascinating. You, you got to understand this. Like Mary goes and gets it. And the story doesn't read this. She looked at it and she's like, okay, that's, that's a year's wage, 40 grand. I'm going to give Jesus a fourth of it. That's 10 grand. That's pretty, I mean, he's going to be impressed with that. I mean, come on now. And you know, maybe she, maybe she put a little bit on herself, a little bit on the way, you know, she gives all of it. You will not find a story in the Bible where there's a disciple that gives Jesus half his life and does something great. You won't find it. Um, let me put it this way. We name our kids after Mary. Literally, we name our kids after Mary. We name kids Mary. Tell me a kid that you know named Judas. You're not gonna find it. You're not gonna find it. Do you know that Judas is actually a synonym in the dictionary for treachery? That's where you'll find Judas. Let me, let me read you a, a couple of verses real quick. Proverbs 10, 7. The name of the righteous is used in blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Ecclesiastes 7 says this, a good name is better than fine perfume. What a connection. Can I tell you something real quick? When you become a poor, the name that God's given you, the, the life he's called you steward, it becomes a great name in the community. It's amazing that generous people, it says generous people have a lot of friends. They might not even be that good of friends, but you're gonna have a lot of friends when you're generous. Um, let me put it this way. We have an upside down world we live in. The guarding of our name and our character is very low on the totem pole. We don't care about that, we care about other things. And uh, I, I, one of my heroes, Billy Graham, uh, he, he has a quote, I'll read it to you real quick. This all makes sense in a second. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. So when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. But what, can we agree that in the Bay Area, most, most people live for wealth? Wealth is first, can we agree with that? Sacrifice some character for it, sacrifice some time, sacrifice some valuable things for wealth. Next one is when health is lost. Man, we've invested a lot of money in health, not a bad thing. But, and something is lost when our health is but when character is lost, all is lost, Billy Graham. Well, I'm reading that book and I see that quote and Rachel calls me. Rachel got in a, a little uh, fender bender and she called me, got in a car wreck, it was our I'll be honest, the best car we had ever owned as a married couple. I brought a 2003 Honda Accord into our marriage. Rachel brought a 2004 bright green Ford Mustang uh, fast power car into our marriage. And there were a little bit older cars. We ended up selling 
my car, we got a Kia with her Ford Mustang because I didn't want to drive a bright green Mustang. <laughs> hey guys, hop in, you know? Um, so we got a Kia because LeBron was driving a Kia is what the commercials told me. LeBron James drives a Kia. So we got a Kia. King is in the building. Okay, so, um, so, the, so the NBA was sponsored by Kia, so we got a Kia Optima. Plus it was $99 lease. But then we got a Ford Explorer Sport V8, fastest car we ever had. It looked like a Range Rover. It wasn't, but it was our type of Range Rover. It was an amazing. It was a gorgeous car. Most expensive car ever. Still the most expensive car we ever owned. We have Jeeps now. Still great cars. Rachel gets an offender banner, and I just read this. And I literally like quoted and said, oh, babe, are you okay? Yeah. Well, then we're fine. Because if wealth is lost, nothing's lost. We'll take care of it. You're healthy. Are you good? Then we're good. I mean, the only thing that matters is his name. She's like, oh, my gosh. I, I responded the best. I, was like, I nailed it. Two weeks later, Rachel goes to Ikea with the Ford Explorer. And you know those um, steel uh, yellow poles that they have for parking spots? My girl backs right into it and just dents our Ford Explorer again on the other side. Okay, okay. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When character is lost, I mean, when health is lost, something's lost. Rachel, are you okay? Yep, okay. She's like, I'm still okay. I'm still okay. Okay, okay. Well, a few weeks later, Real talk. Then she hits the driver's side mirror and smashes it. Are you okay, babe? I'm still okay. Well, then we're all fine. I get that. When wealth is lost, nothing's lost, but stop hitting the car. Kind of taking that quote out of context a little bit. She still wants you to drive good. Why don't you catch this real quick? Billy Graham had that quote, and it's nice to have a quote, but then you read his biography and you find out that he wouldn't even ride in an elevator with another female that wasn't his wife. And if I'm being honest, I remember reading and be like, this guy is weird. Can you imagine being Billy Graham, being in an elevator and a lady walks in? doesn't matter who, who she is, you know, just could have been my grandma. I'd be like, can't, can't do it. Sorry, Peggy, got to get out. You know, and she's like, what is it? I'm doing the next elevator. You know, could you imagine living a life like that. But I feel like when Billy Graham was reading the Bible and even seeing Mary's name and seeing Ecclesiastes that a great name is like great perfume. It's like a blessing to other people. That when Billy Graham would preach, that he had years of character behind it. When Billy Graham would preach, he was a transformed man. Can I be honest? Billy Graham took his character very seriously. And what I find interesting is that it seems a little too extreme. Now, I'll be honest, I ride in elevators. If another lady walks in, I'm, you know, it's two floors. I'm not like, get away from me, Jezebel. You know, I don't do that, okay? Um, hop in the elevator. Okay, listen up, Bathsheba. It's not happening. I'm married. I'm a happy man. She's like, what are you doing? I'm going to the next, uh, next uh. But there's a, I, I, wanna, I believe there's a truth in this that we can all grab is, and you got to look at how you live your life. It says in Hebrews 13 that we're supposed to work on holiness. We're supposed to work on it. Work on being holy. And as we navigate this next season, if we want to be a church that actually impacts this place, whoo, man, your name's all you got. You're not, you don't get another name. When people hear your name, what do they think? Do they think generous, kind, loving? What do they think? When we hear Mary, we think of this. This story is told throughout the world 2,000 years later. Let's keep going. Apologize, I lost my spot in, in my Bible. Um, boom. 
He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is saying not take care of the poor. Don't, don't do that to scripture. He's just simply saying, hey, today's about this. We can always make a day about something, but today's about this. It's about preparing me. It goes on to say, uh, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Stop. I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. Again, we got baptisms. I want to uh, keep this a little tighter today so we can celebrate with people. But I got a couple of questions that I want us to finish with because I think what happens when somebody like Mary does a story like this, I think we shouldn't just read it and be done. This is one of the most extravagant stories in all the Bible of somebody loving Jesus and Jesus celebrating it so much that in all four gospels, you'll find it. So I, I kind of want to soak on it with, with you a little bit. I want to ask some, I want to make us feel maybe a little more comfortable or a little uncomfortable if that's okay. So here's the first question. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. First question is this, which one are you in the story? If you're going to answer today of this story, uh, Martha working, or maybe Lazarus, you, you've been through so much death, but you're still standing and people see you and go, man, it's amazing to me. I, I got friends and I hear their testimony. I'm like, how are you the way you are? It, it strengthens my faith in Jesus. Are you a witness? Just your own life. Is it a witness to the greatness of God? Are you a worshiper? Whoa, you just know how to pour your life out. Or are you the whiner? Are you the critic like Judas? You got to ask yourself, which one are you? You, you, you got to figure it out. I love uh, the thing about even being a worker. I just want to read this real quick to you. Uh, Paul was a worker. Because some of us think like, well, what does it mean to do worship? Can I just tell you real quick? Worship is not a music genre on Spotify. That's not what worship is. Worship is a life well lived for Jesus. Paul was a great worship leader, if I could put it that way. He's a great worshiper. Second Timothy 4 says this. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. Paul's saying, I was a worker, but I was a great worshiper while I was a worker. There's something about workers who understand that their work is worship. If you're Martha in the story, I think Martha was worshiping too. I believe that we worship with our gifts. Come on, now the, the, the second one is witness. Third one was a worshiper. Fourth one was a, was a whiner. I just like the word whiner. It could be critic, but I think just, I like all W's. Um, second question. What will you be remembered for? I don't think we ask ourselves these kind of questions enough. First one, what are you in the story? What will you remember for? There was a French guy. I'm gonna try to say his name. Forgive me, I'm not French. Monsieur Manguet. That's not even close. Um, died in 2007. But he was famous for being able to eat like random things. He ate a bicycle, okay? He ate, uh, what else? A shopping cart. He ate a bed, a chandelier, television set a small section of the Eiffel Tower. It's from France. But his great achievement took him two years is he ate a whole plane. Can you imagine like, man, what are you up to? Eating a plane, man. Just finished the wings. <laughs> Under the part of this. Like literally, the man ate a whole plane. Can you imagine 2007 when he died and stood before the Lord and the Lord asked him, what did you do for me in my kingdom? I ate a plane. It was one of the craziest stories. I was, trying, I was trying to find one of the most ridiculous things somebody's ever done on this planet to share with you today. Because 
If I could just give you a, a picture real quick. When we see Jesus face to face and what our life will be remembered for, if it is not worshiping him and building his kingdom, it is as silly as eating a plane. Some of you building your career the last 10 years, you have spent 10 years on it. I think the plane guy only spent two years. He beats you in foolishness. Some of you have been building and eating all the wrong things. What will you be remembered for? I want to be remembered for loving my God like crazy and loving his people like crazy. I want to be remembered for that. Third question is this. What's your poor look like? What does it look like when you pour out your life? Does it look like a timid poor? Does it look like an extravagant poor? Um, there's this thing in our brain called the frontal lobe. And at age 25, it fully develops. But your frontal lobe is fascinating. I actually wrote down what the frontal lobe does. The frontal lobe is a part of the brain that controls important cognitive skills in humans. This is why kids need parents, by the way. If you're like 19, 20, your brain's not fully developed. Stop acting like you know everything, okay? If you're 25, be arrogant again. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, uh, cognitive skills in humans, such as emotional expressions, problem solving, memory, language, judgment, sexual behaviors. It even is the essence of our, it's basically the essence of a control panel. Basically, your frontal lobe, let's say you're 15 like I am. You're at a 70-foot cliff in eastern Washington. The frontal lobe's not fully developed, but age 25 would be. And the frontal lobe would say this, don't jump off the cliff, Tyler. It's not developed. I don't have that panel yet. My, my, my brain's not being done and developed. So guess what I did at 15? I flipped off the cliff. Landed, hurt myself, but I was fine. A few uh, days later, somebody did the same thing, broke their back and was paralyzed. And I think about all the things I did before my frontal lobe was developed. And there was so many, I was like, what was I thinking? Rachel and I went to a water park on our vacation, Blizzard Beach. And they have this one slide that is a speed slide. It's the tallest slide that, you know, in America for speed slides. And it's like super scary. And there are like eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds in line. And I get in line with my, my buddy Drew and just two weeks ago. And I have nobody behind me. And I look at the drop and I go, Drew, I'm out. I can't do this. I go to turn around and there's two nine-year-old girls behind me now. And they're like, where are you going? And I was like, nowhere. I'm staying. I'm, I'm going down the slide. I'm not afraid. You're afraid. And I remember telling Drew, I was like, Drew, like we were here six years ago. I, didn't even, I wasn't afraid of this. What happened? And all I know is my control panel saying, bro, it's not worth it. Don't do it, man. I know that this never, it never happens if somebody falls out of the slide, but eventually I think somebody's gonna fall out of the slide. I think Mary was cheating in this moment of pouring out the perfume. And her pour it was so, it was reckless. She, was like, she didn't even think about it. The Bible says when you get saved, that you get a new mind, a new, or a new body. He renews your mind. If I go this way, you get a new control panel. And the new control panel, again, in Corinthians, it says that love compels, it constrains, controls. And so your calculator is different. Right now, our calculator as humans is two plus two equals four. What's my best ROI? Return on investment. I want to live this way because it will give me this. But once you get saved, it actually says in John 12, a little farther, here's the God math. Those who lose their life will save their life. Your frontal lobe says the only way to actually live the life I'm supposed to live is not to dip my toe in, but to jump all the way in and say, he's my God. Until your poor looks like that, you're going to be missing out. Until you say, God, renew my mind. Give me a new frontal lobe, if I could put it that way. A spiritual frontal lobe that says, jump. That says, give everything to God. 
And last but not least, finish with this thought, is why do you pour? Why do you pour? What's your motivation? Maybe it's like a nostalgic motivation. Maybe you're just, you know, you grew up in church and it's the right thing to do. I need to give my life to Jesus and pour my life out, so I'm gonna do it because it's the right thing. Maybe that's why you pour your life out. Maybe that's your motivation right now. Maybe your motivation is a bargaining motivation. Well, if I pour my life out, God, what are you gonna give me? Well, I read in the Bible, the people who do pour out, they become famous or they become rich, uh, like David, amazing. I'm gonna pour out because I'm gonna bargain with God. It may be your motivation right now. Maybe your motivation is you have a guilt trip motivation. You wanna convince God that you're, you're worthy. And you, or you've done something, so then you pour out to maybe redeem it. Maybe it's guilt motivation. But what I love about Mary is that's neither of those three. The problem with these motivations are simple. They're too half-hearted or they're too crushing. The only reason why Mary was pouring out is because she knew Jesus was gonna pour his whole life. I'll use a simple illustration and we'll be done. If I gave somebody my car, my Jeep Wrangler, I love it. I own it. If I gave it to them, and that's all you knew, you'd say, Tyler, you look crazy. What are you doing giving that person your car? But what if I told you after I gave you the car? Oh, I, you probably didn't know. They just gave me a $10 million house. Then you would say, bro, that's a great trade. You gave them your car and they gave you a $10 million house? Well, no, I didn't, it wasn't a trade. They gave me a house and I just, I just felt compelled to well, I wasn't trading with them. I just, they gave me a $10 million house. The least I, I just want to give them something back. And my most precious thing I do own is my Jeep Wrangler that I put big on top, big tires on. It was my dream car as a kid. It's an amazing car. Not the most expensive car I had, but I've always wanted it. But I just wanted to give my dream car. Well, why would you do it? It's not a trade. It's not a trade. I just felt compelled to do it. Mary knew, and this is a special thing the Bible says, that the Lord says in his word that he prepares a house for us in heaven. A house that you can never buy, you can never get into without him dying for you. And so Mary's math is very simple. I'm giving him nothing and he's giving me everything. And when you pour from that kind of posture that he's poured so I can pour, your motivation is completely different. Man, we're gonna pour because he poured first, not for any other reason. And so when you give to people, they're gonna say, why are you doing it? Just cuz. When you love people, why are you doing it? Just cuz. And the reason why is because he poured first. So you bow your heads with me. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.